0: Hey, welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is J.W., and as always, I am joined by my best friend,
1: Skinny. Skinny, say hello to the people. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm excited to record episode two with you today, J.W. How are you? And happy belated birthday. Your birthday was on Friday. I hope you enjoyed it. It looks like you did. Thank
0: you. Yes, I had a wonderful birthday. It was very different from last year because last year on my birthday the world shut down because of the coronavirus so this year was a little bit different my wife made not made my wife ordered a very cool cake with the stub me down sticker on it which was really cool and delicious and she also got my fish met poster framed i was so stoked about it It looks fantastic too so really good birthday and i am so excited to be here today recording episode two of season two of Stub Me Down. I mean, how about us? We're doing an, another season and this show today is going to be a lot of fun to talk about.
1: Yeah, we're embracing it. I, that's what I love about it. I feel like we've embraced, I don't like saying grind, because it's not a grind. It's so much fun to do it. We're we're just having a great time and I don't I feel like it's so much fun to go back and listen to these shows. I had such a good time remembering what it was like to start trying to do this podcast and now to see where it is after almost a year when we came up with this idea. We're recording episode 2. So it's fantastic, man. A lot of thanks to you.
0: Well, I appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun and I have really enjoyed not only the discussion and focus on the music, the re-listen on these shows, but I've also enjoyed the process. You know, it's been a learning experience for sure. I'm really excited for today. It's funny I had posted a little bit earlier a picture on Twitter as I was wrapping up my prep for today's episode, and a couple of people jumped in. I don't think many people understand the homework it takes to do a great podcast or interview. Thanks for sharing. And that was Jen. Jen loves live music, Colorado Jen. And then, you know, said something else about our commitment and passion. Passion and authenticity is what makes what we're doing great. So a little bit of a nice compliment on the Twitter today. If you're not following us on Twitter, check us out at stub underscore me underscore down, and let us know how we're doing if you've been at any of these shows we want to make sure that the discussion is inclusive so very cool that there's some people out there that recognize what we're doing and you know we are we do put in a lot of work and the fruits of that are tangible this has just been so much fun i can't wait to get into today's episode brother
1: yeah me neither and i'll say that i i go back quite frequently and listen to past episodes and I've, it does take a lot of prep. It's not, you know, we both have full-time careers. We both have families. There's a lot that goes into doing it. The appreciation is is definitely felt. It's not like you hate it or you you don't want to do it. There's just a lot that goes into it. It's just kind of like a job. You have to apply what's best so that you can get the most out of it. And when we decided to do this, it wasn't like we were like, Oh, we don't want to get anything out of it. You absolutely do want to get something out. Of it. So out of it. So that's why it's authentic. And it, that, that's great feeling from, from somebody out there in Twitter space. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On the first episode of season two, skinny, we took a look at a really great fish show from June 19th, 2004 in, upstate New York at SPAC, Saratoga Performing Arts Center. That was the first of a two-night run that Fish played up there. That was the beginning of their summer tour, which at the time was scheduled to be their last summer tour. They were calling it quits as a band in August at a two-day festival in Coventry, Vermont. And so this kind of kicked it off. It kicked off four shows that we saw, despite the circumstances and the kind of sadness that hung in the air about these shows, we caught a good one here. Really monster Piper, the longest Piper ever, 32-minute Piper, just a beautiful piece of music. It has a little bit of everything, multiple jams that go in a variety of different directions. Uh, song I heard the ocean sing that opened the second set is still my favorite version of that tune. That was only the second time they had played it. If you are not familiar with that version, turn us off right now, go listen to it, and then come back to this episode. It is just superb fish music. First set, Walls of the Cave 2. They took that a little bit type 2. As I said, there was this sadness that kind of hung in the air at those two shows, but the band was also playing some otherworldly stuff, so it was kind of a weird mix of emotions and feelings. Overall, just a nearly epic show, as I said in that episode. And it was a great episode to get us started on season two. Even though at the time we thought Fish was going to be done after this, it's nice to be sitting here in 2021, knowing that they've been back for 12 years
1: and all is well. I, I would agree. The fact that they were that good in moments, that show had a lot of moments And you already mentioned them in particular. So they were that good still, even though they were hanging them up, which it's very Jordan-esque, I guess you're at the top of your game and you're just going to hang it up, whatever the variable reasons were for them to decide that, which we've, we've all heard those stories. And we know that they had an immense amount of sadness and things that they were going through, I think, interpersonally as people and friends they were still good. So I, I love that because I have that relationship with a lot of people, with you, where even when you don't necessarily jive, you still have that intuitive friendship that's always going to push that other stuff to the side. And I think that's what they were doing, regardless of what you heard about Coventry or whatever. Those two shows, the 19th and 20th at SPAC, definitely hold up. They're so good. Definitely go back and re-listen and re- to those.
0: Yeah, both shows absolutely hold up the test of time. Some of the best music that Fish played in the 2.0 era, but they would definitely hold a candle. At least some of the versions of tunes from those shows would easily hold a candle to anything from 3.0. Not that we're into rankings here on Stub Me Down. There's this apparently, I don't know, maybe I'm a part of it because I am a 1.0-er, as are you. The two hours get short shrift because they only had, you know, a year and a half. And then now you've got the three hours. And I guess everybody keeps talking about these goddamn four point hours.
1: <laughs> well, everybody is a noob at some point. I think we covered that too. wrap up that conversation. We We talked about how it doesn't matter when you get into it, It's how much you care about it and what the feeling is you get from it. And circling around to that conversation we're always having about what is it about the live music experience, you have to get into it at some point. So just like anything, you're going to be new at it. When I got into teaching, I was not the best teacher. I had to learn things about teaching in order to get pretty savvy. And it's the same thing with fish or The Grateful Dead or... Any other band that you're really into, you you have to spend some time to understand the value. I don't. I hate all those arguments. They're so stupid. <laughs> Sorry if I'm offending anybody that likes to argue about 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. It's just dumb. <laughs> and 4.0. Welcome to the party. <laughs> it's
0: just added to the list of things for us to talk about while we're not on tour or when we are on tour or whatever. All of that said, today's episode is gonna be really cool. It goes to a little bit about, I think, what you're talking about as far as being new, being exposed to something that maybe you didn't have previously, and that'll make a little bit more sense as we continue to go forward. But today, Skinny is going to be stubbing me down. So I stubbed him down in episode one on that SPAC show from June 19th, 2004. So today, he is going to be stubbing me down, which, as always, is a journey for me because sometimes Skinny has the tendency to pull ticket stubs from my childhood (laughs)
1: It might happen again.
0: (laughs) And that might happen again. It is a learning experience for me. I do like to research my ass off when it comes to those situations because I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. So as I said, Skinny's going to be Stubbing Me Down. We don't really do this. I wanted to tease the next episode of Stub Me Down, Skinny, because I'm really excited for this one. We are going to be bringing in a guest. If you have not checked out Attendance Bias, this is a bomb podcast. Brian from Attendance Bias does an amazing job. He's brought in all sorts of great guests to talk about shows that they've been to. His is a fish-focused podcast, We actually had the good fortune of being guests on his podcast, and we thought that it would be equally cool to have him come on Stub Me Down. So he's going to be joining us in episode three and stubbing me and Skinny down, which I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, I've been prepping for that episode. He kind of switched up on us. I was listening to this show, and then he was like, no, I don't want to do that one. So, but I've I've been prepping hard for that. I think that goes back to the first conversation we had today, which is the prep, listening to these concerts with a a different ear after so many years. And now I'm listening to, I can't tell you the year, I'm going to give the whole thing away, but it's great to do it. And there is a lot of prep. We do actually listen to the show. (laughs) We, we actually like take notes. So But I am blessed to have him on our podcast, and I was so happy to be on his and to help him out and for him to do the same with us. It's great. It's just great to have conversations with other people that are like-minded that are doing the same thing. Who would have thought that we were thinking the same thing about, hey, let's do this podcast during quarantine. And here's a guy, you know, in upstate New York. Well, he's not in upstate New York. He's in Queens, like Flushing Meadow home of the U S open. If you're a big tennis fan. And he, I think that was Archie Bunker lived there too. (laughs) He was doing the same thing and came up with the same idea and his podcast is great. I totally agree with Josh here. You should check it out. It is fish focused where we're not as fish focused. He does a really good job. It's, it's very structured and his guests are great. It's awesome.
0: He's a super knowledgeable guy listening to his analysis, breakdown. He gets into the meat, really rolls up his sleeves and gets into it. Amazing preparation for his podcast, too. So we are really excited for that. But before we have attendance bias on, we have to get to today's show. As I said, Skinny's going to be stubbing me down. If you are new to Stub Me Down, the premise of the show is that over the years, Skinny and I have collected... Countless ticket stubs from shows that we have been to together as friends over the last 20 years or prior to that time when Skinny was getting his start in music and I was doing some different things before we were friends. We pull a stub from that collection and we use that concert as a jumping off point to talk about music, our friendship, the stories that go into the experiences we've had over the years. That's pretty much it, Skinny. We are just about ready to go for episode two here. You got anything else before we take a look at today's show?
1: Let's just cut to the chase. <laughs> I'm Johnny Hollywood. Are you ready for me to stomp you down, JW? Absolutely, bro. Let's get to it. All right, man. Here it is. Grateful Dad from the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland on St. Paddy's Day, 1991, 317, 1991, in case you all didn't know when St. Patty's Day was. Great show, I'm excited to talk about this, and you should be too, because there's there's a lot to cover. The
0: 30th anniversary of this show, just a couple of days from right now, which is pretty wild. Man, this was a great show. I really enjoyed listening to this one. This was the first of four nights that the Grateful Dead played at the Cap Center. Unfortunately... In my career, I only went to one event at the Cap Center before it was gone, and that was a basketball game, a Georgetown basketball game when I was a freshman in college. So I never saw any concerts there, but I know that you, J.O., and his late brother Joe saw many, many Grateful Dead concerts there. So I
1: am really excited to talk about this one. Yeah, me too. So... I mean, let's just kick it off with the venue. Cap Center is in Landover. It's outside of D.C. and it's off 95. It was real easy to get to. In 87, when I saw the dead for the first time, we literally went after school. It has this real low roof. You know, Maybe we'll post some pictures up on Instagram of it, Josh. So, you know, it's got this real low roof and, and the acoustics in there were really, really good. And the dead played there from... 87, I think, to about 93 or 94, at least twice in the spring and fall. There was a lot of runs. You know, you could always check me on that. But this was a the first night of a, of a four-night run. Cap Center was just the place to be in the spring and the fall. If you were following the Grateful Dead, you knew locally that they were probably playing there on those tours. This is one hell of a show. I had just turned 14. <laughs> nice, the age bias.
0: <laughs> a week before this show was played, there were four nights played at Cap Center. Did you go to all four?
1: I went to three out of the four. So I missed the third night, but caught the last night of the run, which was great because they did a stir it up jam. No lyrics, but amazing. I had a friend of mine say it was kind of a novelty, following up with him about this run and some other spring 91 shows that he went on. He was like, that was a novelty. I was like, dude, they played Stir It Up like the last night. Get out of here. That's crazy. The whole run, you're not going to miss much. I went to the first two, missed the third, and went to the fourth. I probably had to work. I think I was working as a busboy. You know, I wasn't like making a lot of money. I obviously, I didn't have a car, you know, so I always had to go with friends. And I hadn't even turned 21 yet. So this is 91. I mean, I didn't turn 21 until August. But I was way deep into them. And I think we covered that last season. So this is one of those ways where you just got way deep into them was a four-night run at a local venue.
0: Yeah. And we talked about The Grateful Dead from 1990. And you stubbed me down in episode six of season one, episode six, Who's Gone? And we had a great conversation about We talked about it being a really soulful show. Jerry sounded a little bit weathered, but still pretty good. It's really crazy how different he sounds in this show. A little bit more youthful, a little bit more vibrance in his voice, I I heard. I'll tell you what, the energy in the crowd was palpable. You can hear it at a couple of points in the show when we get to the set we'll hear about that but you also had Bruce Hornsby and Vince Wellnick on the keys and when we had talked about that show from July of 1990 that was Brent's last tour as the keyboardist of the Grateful Dead he passed away at the end of that summer what are you thinking as far as like Hornsby and Wellnick they've got two keys where where was your mind at going into this show knowing that the last time you had seen the Grateful Dead they had a completely different guy at the Keys, really a completely different setup.
1: Yeah, it was weird for sure. It was weirdly cool. I think that's the way that I'll put it. They had reformed. Maybe they were trying their best to get over the tragedy of Brent's passing. I didn't see anything that fall. I was ecstatic to see Jerry again and Phil and Bobby and Mickey and Bill. You know, you're just excited to go back and finally see him after which seems like eons when you're a kid and you're really into something, it, it wasn't that long, which again, that's also a tribute to the Grateful Dead, but it's also a tribute to the same things that really led to Jerry's demise, which was this train had to keep rolling. So I was excited. We actually sat about 30 rows up from the keyboard side. So it was Bruce and Vince were on that one side, and then Jerry and, you know, Bobby, Phil, and the other, obviously, going towards that way. So we weren't on the side of the Phil zone. Sound is great in there. I was excited. The energy outside the show was palpable as well, too, for many different reasons. But I think to be back there for a four-night run and the first night is St. Paddy's Day, it was... I mean, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even 21 yet, bro. Let me just tell you, it was a lot of fun. All right, and I would pay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a party worth attending, no doubt. I don't even know how much money I would put down pay to see the Grateful Dead on St. Patty's Day in 2021, if that was even a possibility. It would be a lot of dough. It would be a lot of dough. And Phil's birthday is. There's just a lot of little things that are happening. And for it to be St. Paddy's Day, of course, there's like merch. It's just out of control. Everybody's wearing green. It's good times, man. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And the show itself was really very, very good. You know, we talked about this a little bit in the last season as far as Where my Grateful Dead focus has always tended to land, admittedly, some of the 90s shows, I am a noob. With my go tos are generally 70s shows, some late 60s, you know, maybe a couple of early 80s. This I really enjoyed. And I got to tell you what, skinny, I really was. I busted out all of my Grateful Dead research materials. I was geeking out on some of the stats for this one. I busted out my dead bass, I busted out my Grateful Dead annotated lyrics, my legal pad, my notebook. I had every resource. There was some things that um, we'll talk about during this show that I think, man, really cool, and I'm super jealous that you were at this show.
1: Well, you work a little too hard, my man. That's all I'm going to say. Why don't you uh, why don't you go over that first set, then, and let's get into it. Absolutely. All right. So
0: starting with the first set, The Grateful Dead at the Cap Center, Sunday, March seventeenth, 1991, set one opens with Hell in a Bucket into Sugary, Walking Blues, Peggy O, Queen Jane, Ruben and Charisse, and they close the first set with Let It Grow. So not a very long set here. I mean, obviously the Ruben and Charisse stands out. That is not something that was in the Grateful Dead repertoire ever. This was the first time played Ruben and Charisse. I don't wanna jump to that quite yet, but that's definitely a notation from this first set that has to be identified right at the beginning. Interestingly enough, Skinny, the set opens the exact same way as the July 6th, 1990 Louisville show, Hell in a Bucket, Sugary. It seems like maybe it was just kind of how it hit you but it seems like maybe they kind of had a standard formula by this time when it came to how they constructed their sets.
1: Yeah, it would have been interesting for you to be along on those rides because I think you would have been able to start maybe using some statistical analysis to call what's going to happen. I mean, many Grateful Dead fans could do that right from their head because they had seen so many shows and i'm not surprised that i saw like the exact two same songs in another show and then another one down like not even six to eight months later you know they're trying to regain their footing a little bit after a huge tragedy so if they have to go to the well and play some songs that they're familiar with or might seem i don't want to say easier this always is I have trepidations about saying easier, considering I don't play guitar, bass, or have never really like, you know, had to formulate that, that type of band consciousness. Why did I say that so slow? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think maybe instead of trying to analyze it too much further, it, it seems natural to them, and then they can maybe s- start seeping into deeper songs in their catalog. It's a strong start. A Hell in a
0: Bucket is a nice ripping, get everybody on their feet and welcome in and let's have a great time. The Sugaree, also really nice, kind of dial it back and get Jerry involved. Jerry sounded great on the guitar. He was ripping Hell in a Bucket. The Sugaree, as he's singing, you notice right away how good he sounds vocally, where it was a little bit more gritty in the july 1990
1: show that kind of maybe leads me to think that these are songs that they know that this growing fan base is going to have the the fan base is going to have an ability to understand those two songs they know those songs but if they go deeper into the catalog then maybe they won't so i think they started off sets with stuff that they thought maybe people knew because they knew they were gaining so much traction and steam they were i mean it was we'll talk about that at the at the end of talking about this show. They were really gaining a lot of traction as far as fans. It was much more crowded from 87 when I started seeing them to 91. And I saw them at the Cap Center in 87 and then in 91 and two totally different things, but maybe that's why. I don't know, Jeff.
0: Of course, as I'm listening to Helena Bucket and enjoying it, at least I'm enjoying the ride. Bobby comes in at the end and he starts doing all sorts of screaming and wailing and he was feeling himself,
1: brother, I'll tell you what. Oh man, it's like we used to make fun of it because he wore like Daisy Dukes and like a pink polo. You know, he had white guitar, pink guitar. It's hard not to make fun of Bobby. And he started this screaming stuff I think in order to emphasize how excited he was about the lyrics, I, I don't even, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you. The screaming at the end of Hell in the Bucket, I, 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 I don't suggest it for anybody. You can <laughs> Once he starts doing that, you can just go next to the sugary. That's the beauty of technology. We did make fun of it. I'm so sorry, Bobby, if you're out there and you happen to listen to this podcast. Yes, we made fun of you. But just like everybody, you know, there's something that you do personally that you deserve to get made fun of. This is not a, I, there was no anti-bullying Bobby. I mean, he, he, there were shirts where it's like, Bobby spit on me. (laughs) He was very dramatic. And I I think in the nineties, he thought it was necessary to carry the load here he didn't he didn't need to do that the song is strong enough as it is i love hell in a bucket you don't need to go at the end of it
0: does a lot of that. He does a lot of that. But Jerry brings it back to earth with the sugary. Then Bobby's somewhat normal on The Walking Blues. Great intro to that. I I just love that little blues riff that they play. And then Peggy O. Peggy O was another one that they had played in that July 6, 1990 Louisville show. And really, is kind of especially during this time period, become like a first set staple for the band.
1: Peggy O is one of my favorites of all time. It's definitely a fall in love tune. The lyrics are really beautiful. Just talking about the companionship from one person to another. Jerry is pretty much flawless on the guitar in this version and a little flubs here and there on the lyrics, but not something that you really notice when you're at a show. I always say this too, I don't really care. The Grateful Dead and other bands that you know we really like, they always seem to bounce back from that. It's when we make a misstep, when we make a misstep when we talk, like I just did, <laughs> we, you can bounce back from it and have a further conversation. It's not like, oh, they made a mistake, you can't talk about it anymore. It's, they make mistakes, they know they make mistakes, they keep plowing through, and then the rest of the set just gets better and better.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't forget, in the last episode, we talked about Trey missing an entire verse of Cavern. So it's not like something specific to just Jerry forgetting a couple of words here and there. Trey does it all the time. Fee is another song. Trey seems to not always
1: get all of the words in the right order. Um, But Jerry sounded great in that. It gets complicated i think lyrics get complicated i mean how many words are dancing around in these guys heads you know and then we're as a fairy like i can't believe you forgot the words i'm like yeah i'd like to see you up there doing it so whatever man
0: (laughs) well we get bobby back in the mix for the queen jane bob dylan cover grateful dead's always mixing in some bob dylan what i didn't know and this is going to be really, I guess, the second stat that I'm busting out. But Queen Jane was not played until 1987 was the first time they played it. They would play it maybe 10 to 15 times a year. I thought that this was one that had been a little bit more of a staple. So that was a little bit of a stat that I was pretty stoked about. But I loved at the end of this, the crowd chanting, we want Phil. And I have always been a big Phil Lesch fan going back to the days where that was our replacement for Fish, we were seeing Phil 10 times a year and I love Phil. So when the crowd started chanting, we want Phil, I I was loving that.
1: Yeah, he's a quirky dude. And I think at this point, the crowd wants him to be involved in the set list. I remember hearing this several times at other shows that I had been at and he, he always would do something like wave to somebody or, you know, The reality is, is that they would just say that because they want to hear from him and Phil would then like drop bass bombs or do some other things that would kind of shout out to the crowd. Like, I'm here. I hear you. And I think the next song, the Ruben and Cherise. Yes, that's a JGB song, but I think that was them together saying, all right, you want to bust out? Here we go. And they certainly gave it to the crowd there. It wasn't a Phil song for... The crowd was duly served by doing that, I think, because they gave them what they wanted, just in a different way.
0: Yeah, the last two songs of this set, for me, really make this first set here. So the Ruben and Charisse, as I mentioned, they play... This is the first time the Grateful Dead had ever played this Jerry Garcia band kind of staple for Jerry Garcia. The crowd goes absolutely apeshit when they hear the first notes... How do you think it translated from the JGB style of playing Ruben and Cherise to the Grateful Dead playing? it? And then they played it a few times after this, but this was the first time played. So how do you feel like it translated to this band from
1: JGB? People loved their catalog and they were extremely happy to hear this. The, the crowd reaction to that when you figured out what's going on, I always love that. There's an old game show, like, name that tune. <laughs> and I feel like I'm always playing that when I see like Grateful Dead or Fish or Jam Band that I'm really into. Oh, what? Oh, that? Oh, it's a, oh my God, it's Reuben and Cherise. You know, so that in and of itself, lets go of all this anxiety and like, I can't believe they're playing it. And I'm, I'm seeing it for the first time. It like adds to these personal remembrances, these feelings about the song. I can't believe that they did like a JGB song in the middle of a first set. Don't you remember that? I mean, it translates well to me, and, and this version, I thought that I remember Jerry messing it up when I was there, but maybe it was the crowd being so raucous and interspersed with the reality of what was happening, that it was a first time played, which is a huge deal for the Grateful Dead community. For, for a bust out like that, that's a huge deal and on tour, a first time played. It's a it's a first time played. I don't even know how else to characterize it. So it played well. And, and the version on re is great.
0: Right, you're talking 26 years into the band and they are busting something out like this as a first time played. That's gonna be a pretty cool thing to be a part of, no doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just to be a part of the show, People always say that. I remember I went to a Grateful Dead show once. Well, if you went a lot, like we did, you saw something like this. This is, you know, it's like a new Christmas ornament that you're like, oh my God, remember this one? This is so beautiful. And you're hanging on the top part of the tree. It's, it, that's what it is. So yeah, it translated great. And on re-listen, Jerry does a really damn good job on that. I mean, I know it's his song, but for the rest of the band to follow that lead, something that's not really in their repertoire, I, I think they really pulled that off, it's great.
0: Yeah, it definitely was very cool to listen to. And then they finished the set with Let It Grow and Let It Grow's a tune I've always liked, which is weird because it's basically a song about farming. It's got that hook, you know, and I do like the lyrics. I like the metaphorical life cycle, at the whim of the seasons. I, I've always liked Weather Report Sweet from start to finish. But Let It Grow is cool. This is a great version here to close out the set. Not really a particularly long set, but having the Reuben and Charisse and the Let It Grow to close out, I mean, that's a good that's a good finish to the set for sure.
1: Yeah, I like those historical connotations you're bringing up about, you know, farming or whatever. I mean, I, it makes me think of Steinbeck. It makes me think of, of Mice and Men, how the grapes of wrath, they had to leave the Dust Bowl to work on these farms and that, I don't know, that view of what it would look like in California, I feel like they really, the lyrics do that and the song does that, somehow that that composition really comes together for me. Um, and it really makes me think of like California. Before I had even seen California with my own eyes. I mean, I didn't see California with my own eyes until I was 48, so it kind of gave me that painting in my brain, that song gives that to me. I love that song. It's a great close too. And I know Bobby's always like, you know, we'll be back in a little bit. You know, it's, you, you know that's like a Let It Grow after that. You know, that's the end of the set. Uh, it was a strong set all the way through. And I don't think any song was particularly long at any point, but it's just a, a strong driving set with a humongous bust out.
0: Yeah, and a great finish. So the first set, just to review, they opened the show with Hell in a Bucket into Sugary, Walking Blues, Peggy O, Queen Jane, Reuben and Charisse, which was the big bust out the first time played by the Grateful Dead. And then they closed out set one with a really nice, very, very jammy Let It Grow. So really good first set. Not particularly long, as we said, we're only talking seven songs there, but really had a very strong finish. The second set might also sound a little bit familiar at the beginning to you, Skinny. They open the second set with China Cat Sunflower into I Know You Rider, into Women Are Smarter, Crazy Fingers, into Truckin', into New Speedway Boogie, into Drums, into Space, into The Wheel into All Along the Watchtower, into Black Peter, into Around and Around, and they encored the show with U.S. Blues. So the second set, much different than the first set here, although the China Cat Rider, Women Are Smarter, was also the same start to the second set at the
1: july 6 1990 louisville show (laughs) i know and i i this is so random i didn't choose this show because of that it's just it's kind of how it was going i went to this show actually with a friend of ours brad and he he's like man damn it skinny i always see a china rider to open the second set and maybe he does i mean i was at the show with him And then it's even funnier is that the third song in, The Women Are Smarter, that's the same as Louisville. So that is just a crazy stat. You know, they're playing hits. They got to get more fans. The train is rolling down the track, as it were. And who knows what they're thinking. I I just think that some of their formulas might have been more standard than I thought at the time. Obviously, we're figuring that out now.
0: But you also... Realize that when you see a band a lot, especially a band that's a constant touring band, I mean, the Grateful Dead played 77 shows in 1991. So you're talking about a band that is constantly playing every season, multiple nights, consecutive nights, runs. When you go and see as many shows as we tend to see of the same band, you're going to start to see. The same things, maybe in the same positions. How many down with diseases have you seen open a second set? You know, so those types of statistics are going to reveal themselves over time. I just thought it was super interesting that, not you know, if it had just been maybe they had opened each second set with a China cat rider, or or maybe there were a couple of similar placements. But <laughs> I did have to laugh as I was—I was, I, I was kind of like mind blown that the first and
1: second set in the
0: two Grateful Dead shows that we have done here on Stub Me Down.
1: Talking to your friends back then, they're just like now with with people talking about different bands. Super complaints. The rest of the set helps that out. I, at this point, I don't know who would complain about China Rider. I always loved it to open up a second set. You could call it standard, but it, it's a really tight version. Yeah, it's good. I mean, they Yeah, absolutely. They were in a groove. I thought it was great too that Vince Welnick is just new to the band, just from fall tour, and they must have practiced pretty hard in San Francisco on Front Street because he's very subtle. He's not trying to stand out, but he fits in. He's he's not like, "Oh, that sounds so out there." The way the show sounds even with these old standards i guess we can call them for lack of a better term he sounds great here's a guy that was playing with the tubes i mean do you know any tube songs i know the song too they had to have seen something in his playing that worked well with them and then through practice and some live Performances, but, and then Bruce kind of holds it all together, too. So,
0: Yeah, I thought the, the keys stood out to me specifically in Ruben and Cherise in the first set. And that's not something, I mean, who knows? Maybe The Dead had worked it out. Jerry said, ah, oh, let's mess around and play this. But they sounded really good there. And The China Rider, I thought they were both really strong. It was a lot of fun. And China Rider, to me, that's always a pair of tunes that I am happy to listen to. And as we talked about a little bit with the first set, nothing was very long, but they were just super tight. They were really on. The whole band was playing really well together. This is definitely a, a solid top to bottom show, set list wise, in my opinion, but also how well they played it and how well they sounded. Crazy Fingers was a really nice, very touching piece right after that. China Cat Rider, Women Are Smarter Open. And then the truckin' that comes in, really nice version of truckin'. Again, we're not talking about something that ended up being this monster jam. The transition from Crazy Fingers into truckin' was just silky smooth. I really thought that they nailed that. That was really a theme of this whole second set for me, too, was listening to them go from one song to the next. Aside from the break after Women Are Smarter, they played straight through to the end of the set it was man we talked about this previously but this is one of the reasons that i love jam band music is when bands take two songs and bridge them in the fashion that we see here the fashion that fish does and that transition into trucking again not a monster version of trucking but super tight i can imagine being there and just getting down with everybody and then from that trucking They go into new Speedway boogie. Talk about geeking out on some stats. The new Speedway boogie had been played just the month before in Oakland on February 19th. Prior to that, the Grateful Dead had not played a new Speedway since 1970, bro. Wow. September 20th, 1970. Then they don't play it for 21 years. They play it out west in Oakland, and then they come to D.C. They play a Ruben and Charisse for the first time ever in the first set, and then they drop a tune that they basically hadn't played in 21 years. Man, they fucking nailed it. That's a really tight version of New Speedway.
1: Yeah, it's a great song and they did nail it and I highly suggest going back and, and hearing for yourselves what that sounds like. You're going to be blown away because you're going to be like, what? It takes a little while for that you to be able to hear it. So I listened to an odd version of it and I listened to a soundboard version of it. The soundboard version is so good, so of course you want to listen to that. But it's interesting to get the perspective of what the crowd was like in the Cap Center. Again, it's a 20,000 venue. It's not that big. The crowd was so unleashed when they heard that. And I remember just like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, I probably didn't even really hear the first part of the song. You know, please don't dominate the rap jack. Or I did hear it and then just like lost my mind for you know a little bit there and then listened. And you have a truckin' before that, so it's like, you know, you have hit, 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 hit. They're just playing the hits. And they're playing them really strong, and then bust out, and then end of the set, hit. And then open the set, hit, 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 hit. Transition, truckin', everybody loves truckin', hit. And then, boom, they just throw hand grenades, man, right back into the crowd, like, okay, how about this now? And then here's a hit that's like, you all know when you got into The Grateful Dead, this is a song that a lot of people catch on to that's maybe a little bit more nuanced than some of the stuff that you would have started listening to. But I remember when I heard this song, I really loved New Speedway Boogie and to hear them play it live. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I think I just said it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah i i really like new speedway myself working man's dead probably one of my favorite dead albums overall phil played new speedway a bunch so we got into hearing it a little bit more frequently when we were seeing phil tour it's kind of a long song there's a lot of verses jerry remembers most of the words i only know maybe like the first three verses and then it's It it keeps going on for another two or three, it feels like. And Jerry sounds great. And you can hear, even in the soundboard version that I listened to in preparation for today's conversation, the crowd goes bananas. I mean, and between that and the Prouba and Charisse in the first set, I mean, right there. And everything in between was played so well. I mean, this is a show I would've been totally geeking out being at just because of those two nuggets. And me as a stats guy, those are some pretty nice jewels in your Grateful Dead stats because not a lot of people have those.
1: If I had to pick a show, I could probably pick this one. It's got everything. And then it's got bust outs. It's well played. There's not a lot of mistakes or problems or even in between songs, the Grateful Dead would take a long time in between. And when I say long, anywhere from three to five minutes, that's like a long separation. Like, what are they doing? And they see them talking. Bobby was tuning his Birkenstocks or whatever. Like, (laughs) This could go one place, but oh, and then they take it another direction, which is probably the greatest thing about, listening to this type of music this improvisational jam band music takes a little bit of time sometimes in between to get back into a groove they were just in the whole groove this entire night and then you know they drop into in the drums and space and then it's almost like another show like another set after that the drum space
0: was a little scary it was a little scary there were a couple points in the drum section there where i was like I need to turn the lights up a little bit. It's a little bit, it's a little bit scary in here. But then they transitioned from that space into the wheel again was just ridiculous how smooth and clean it was. And then a great version of the wheel. I love the wheel. That's always been kind of a theme song for my life. You know, the wheel is turning and it can't slow down. Yeah, we talked a little bit about looking for themes when we talked about that Louisville show from season one. And kind of draw a line from the "Let It Grow" to the "Wheel" here on the theme, but the "Wheel" was just a
1: beautiful version there too. The best part about drums at Cap Center—it had really good acoustics. I mean, I remember just a lot of times in the drums, I would sit there because, like, it's like a circle, and it was crazy. And then Jerry just comes in and just takes control after the space and just drops right into the wheel. And that's what, as a fan, you really like to see Jerry do that. Sometimes you would come out and noodle around for a while and you weren't sure what they were gonna play out of space or you know, you would try to identify it, just gotten back from going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it's, it literally is a time to do that. It's okay. And you're not really sure what they're gonna drop in. Sometimes it might be just like this amazing song you want to hear, sometimes it might not be. You might not like what they chose this time. Choose the wheel anytime out of space. I love it. And then followed up with like a really strong and amazing guitar work by Jerry on the Watchtower.
0: You know, Watchtower was another song I actually did some stats research on. This is another Bob Dylan song that they only started playing in 87, if you can believe that. Played it 123 times in their career. And 16 times in 91. So I think this is like another song for you, maybe probably was only a few times seen, if more than just one or two.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I would have to check my own records on that. It's funny because I was a big meat and potatoes rock guy before I got into the Grateful Dead. and. Dylan and then, you know, Hendrix covers this. I love Hendrix's cover of Watchtower. And then the Grateful Dead are doing it. So, you know, it's definitely, again, it's just like a hit, another hit, after hit, a fan favorite, a hit, a bust out. They're not doing anything wrong in this show. And I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday who I've been friends with forever from high school who was one of the guys that really turned me on to the Grateful Dead. And and he said the same thing. He was like, I felt like Spring 91 was uneven. You know, whatever that means in dead speak. <laughs> uneven. I love that. He's like, ah, oh, it's kind of uneven. Tim, if you're out there, that's a shout out to you. But he was like, this show was not, you know, this show wasn't uneven at all. If anything, it was really balanced. And there's nothing from the top of the set to where we are now that you're like, Egh. Except for the Bobby screaming, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Rich, he 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 got that out of the way with the first
0: song. He, he settled in a little bit, and there was there was no excessive Bobby in the remainder of the show. The Black Peter that followed the Watchtower was absolutely gorgeous, very touching version. I just I absolutely love Black Peter as far as the ballad the Grateful Dead ballad motif is concerned, just such a amazing piece of music and Jerry just again just nails this one he was on he was on point this this evening
1: when they break into the the backup where it's like see here how everything leads up to this day. It's just. I got to tell you people out there, if you're not if you're not into Black Theater, you should get into it. It is an emotional song. And at my age, at 50, when I hear that song, I think, you know, what is it going to be like when my final days have arrived? My friends just come around. It's like it's sad, but it also has this little slice of beauty into it about something that is a sore subject with human beings, which is the fact that we're all gonna die. So, (laughs) you know, I'm sorry, everybody, but it's, it's totally true. And he pulls this off so well. It's such a great version. Great just seems like such an arbitrary adjective to use all the time, but it's great. It's amazing. I've listened to that. Out of all the songs I listened to prepping for this, I listened to that probably like five or six times. I just listened to it yesterday and then run and see, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I I, that's it. <laughs> I don't need to pontificate. anymore. it's ridiculous. So good. It's good. How about that?
0: Yeah, and then they wrap it up with A Round and Around, which they, again, had also played on the July 6th, 1990 show, with the U.S. Blues coming in the encore position. So really a very good, as you said, a lot of hits, a lot of big Grateful Dead tunes here. The two bust outs are equally as notable, if not more so than the hit factor from this show and just everything being super well played jerry sounds great the whole band is playing together there's there does seem to be a i don't want to say a reinvigoration in the sound but there's definitely something that vince and bruce brought that freshened the sound maybe a little bit from the shows that i've heard with brent
1: and you gotta have a keyboard player with this band and even though they had lost at that point, three, they had to overcome that sadness. I mean, if they were going to go on, they need Bruce was going to sit in. I think he sat in until 92 and they had to get another keyboard player. It's not a curse as much as it is. They wanted to keep it going. And they were very deaf at kind of bringing in keyboard players. I mean, they sure as hell had a lot of experience doing it, you know, and I, I'm sorry for sorry for the poor taste joke. But I mean, listen, that's history. And they had to bring in somebody else, and they did. And Bruce kind of helped that and brought him along because he was so enamored by their catalog when he was growing up, and he loved the music. I wish they would have kept him. No offense to Vince, I thought it would have been interesting if they would have kept both of them, but Bruce had other interests. You know, to wrap up that set, the encore with the U.S. Blues, I just wanted to tell you, Cap Center they used to call Cop Center. And they called it Cop Center because the lot scene there was just absolutely furious. I mean, they were everywhere. So there was people selling whatever. And there was a huge police presence. And I always felt it was interesting when the dead would play Throwing Stones in D.C. or, or U.S. Blues, especially on this opening night. Because even before the show, it's St. Paddy's Day. A lot of people are doing stuff that they shouldn't, you know, there's a heavy police presence. And I think that was kind of the anti-establishment way for the dead to, you know, sing a song like that at the end, thumbing your nose or, or spitting through your teeth at kind of the establishment, not only of DC, but of the local police and, and how they felt that their fans were being treated. You have to understand, At this time, people were being beat up and abused by security. The Yellow Jacket security was omnipresent, very weird and scary to have to deal with them, especially getting into the venue. Outside of the venue, got cops on horseback. The lot scene around there wasn't paved. It was this gravelly, conglomerate stone, and people set up, and everybody's walking around, and there's just people everywhere. It it was definitely, you could start to see the beginning of the end of the Grateful Dead. They were bringing fans from everywhere. The tours were huge, and they're set up in this, this is Landover, Maryland, man. This is not Meadowlands, not that either one is better, but there's tons of people that aren't even getting into the show, so. I think The Dead was kind of putting the news out to local establishments and even, in that case, DC kind of thumbing their nose at them.
0: Yeah, I get that. I Some like Throwing Stones is a similar type of feel when they play that. All right, let's go back and take a quick look at the second set here. We're talking about The Grateful Dead from the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland on St. Patrick's Day, 1991. They opened the second set with China Cat Sunflower into I Know You Rider, into Women Are Smarter, Crazy Fingers, into Truckin', into New Speedway, which had been basically a 20-plus year bust out, Drums, Space, Into the Wheel, into Watchtower, into Black Peter, into Around and Around, which closed the second set, and they encored with... US Blues. A little bit longer than the first set. Each set featured the bust out, as we said, with Ruben and Cherise in the first and the new Speedway in the second. And, you know, we've got a couple of Bob Dylan covers in both the first and second set. A little bit of a mirror from your Louisville, July 6, 1990 show. But nonetheless, all very, very good music from the Grateful Dead back in 91. And though I was just 14 years of age, I am sure that 14-year-old me would have had nothing to do with any of this and had no idea what even was happening. And I'm glad that I know now, though.
1: Yeah, me too. And I'm sad that that part of our friendship was not available then. Uh, It would have been amazing. I, I was going to a lot of shows with a lot of good friends. I mentioned Bradley earlier. We used to go to a lot of shows. And then Jason and his brother Joe who I think at this show, and I'm pretty sure because Joe had a sweet steal your face Clover shirt for St. Patty's Day that he had bought out in the lot and he was wearing it. Of course, he like put it right on. He had an empty cup that he wanted me to bring in to the cap center. And it was like the stupidest thing. I'm like, I'm not going to bring your cup. He's like, just do it, skinny, bring in your cup. I was like, okay. So I get past security and he throws it to me behind the security guards back like joe montana to jerry rice and i caught it and like stuffed it in my pocket like in one motion it was the most unbelievable catch i ever had i never played sports like at, you know even in high school i got caught all the time so it was like this beautiful pass he threw me the cup and then i put it in my pocket and like the whole crowd cheered <laughs> Because everybody saw it except for the Yellow Jacket security. It was amazing. And like he really wanted this cup. It's the stupidest thing. It was like a plastic cup. with like Who knows what it was? I mean, it was like an Orioles like tumbler. It was the stupidest thing ever. But I got roped into doing it and made the best catch of my life. It's like the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do really enjoy getting
0: stubbed down on these Grateful Dead shows from a long time ago. And I'm really thankful that you have these experiences because it's so cool to talk about these shows with you because I didn't experience it for myself. And to be able to hear about the music, hear about the scene, really getting your perspective of where you were at the time and then you reflecting back on it from now has been very cool. And I definitely... Love getting stubbed down on these Grateful Dead shows, even though there's a pang of jealousy that comes through when you know, you talk about some of these experiences. And as a stats guy, this show in particular, I think would probably be up there for me, seeing things that the band has really not done in forever with the Ruben and Charisse, and then a 20-plus year bust out on... New Speedway. I mean, that right there is that set list keeper nerd just through the roof.
1: Yeah, man. I just say I'm lucky, man. That's all. I was lucky to experience it. Many people out there were lucky to experience it. I think about it all the time. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know, I'm not I, I'm not trying to make bones and say, uh, you should have been there. Well, you couldn't have been there. It's just like that place in that time, I just happened to be around it and uh, I, I'm thankful that I was. You
0: no, know, I'm glad we can go back and talk about it and listen to it and relive some of those those memories with you. And speaking of Grateful Dead, skinny, I gotta tell you, I am really excited. We have our first concert scheduled. Since New Year's Eve 2019, we are going to see Dark Star Orchestra on May 14th, which is not that far away, only about two months, at the Frederick Drive-In venue that everybody's been talking about. We are going to be in attendance for some actual live music and some good old Grateful Dead to boot. So I am excited for that. I also, I don't know if I told you this, but I've been listening to some Goose on the recommendation of some of our Twitter friends. Shout out to Five Songs, Second Set, and Courtney on their Goose recommendations. And so I'm actually going to be going with Megan. We're going to go see one of the Goose shows at the drive-in, which is the week before this DSO show. So I will report back on how Goose hits me in the live sense. And uh, obviously, DSO is going to be great with you and Amy, me and Megan, and uh, Julia is going to be joining us as well. JB is going to be the the fifth wheel, so can't wait
1: for that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm so looking forward to that. When you had texted me about that show, we'll do whatever it takes to get there. So I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be a good time and socially distanced and vaccinated and whatever. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care at this point, so let's do it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Skinny, you got anything else before we wrap up? Episode two of season two of Stub Me Down. We took a look at a Grateful Dead show from March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 1991. We're coming up on the 30th anniversary, hard to believe, of that show. The Cap Center in Landover, Maryland. It was the first of a four night run that the Grateful Dead played there. Really solid show. Well played. Couple of bust outs. Go take a listen to it. There's a great soundboard copy of the show on re-listen and of course you can find some good odds there too if you want to experience it from inside
1: the crowd. I do not have anything man except I know that you are going to mention our social media again but I just wanted to mention some people that have kind of sponsored with us and we're trying to help them out too. One is Fan Designs which is P-H-A-N D-E-S-I-G-N-Z by Scott Mitchell. Great shirts. Got Josh and I a couple shirts from his company. Shipping is great. He gets great reviews. Please check him out. He's on Instagram as well. He follows us. So if you want to try to find him, you can do that. And then also we got our stickers being involved with The Lot by Primal Soup. And there's so many vendors that are virtual right now that can get you all kinds of merch and you should check those guys out too.
0: Yeah, gear up before all these spring concerts start hitting. Everybody's it's like going to be like the first day of school, you know, you need a fresh pair of flip-flops, new pair of cargo shorts and a new lot shirt that might reference not seeing music during the last year or maybe maybe you're going for that subtle throwback, who knows, but we are happy to support the community, and it's great having their support as well. If you want to follow us on the socials, we are on Twitter at stub underscore me underscore down, and we are also on Instagram at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. Join us next time when we bring in Brian from Attendance Bias, who's going to be stubbing Skinny and Me down. In the meantime, check out Attendance Bias available wherever you can get your podcasts, some really great fish music discussed over there on attendance bias. And we are happy to make some new friends from Stub Me Down to other podcasts, including Brian over there at Attendance Bias. Skinny, thanks, man. What a great show. Thanks for stubbing me down on this Grateful Dead show from March 17th, 1991. I loved it, man. Uh, this is going to be uh, bookmarked on my playlist because, man, that new speedway hits me right where I uh, where I like to jam.
1: Right on, man. I love you. I'm glad that we did a great show here talking about that. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and you out there. <laughs> it
0: is. And thank you guys so much for checking us out here on Stub Me Down. We are, as always, Way grateful for those of you that join us for these journeys and for these memories. Keep on listening. Let us know how we're doing, and we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the PAV. Say
1: bye, Skinny. Oh, bye. (laughs) Bye.